0: Good morning, everybody. Um, I'm Tricia, Tricia Hughes. I'm a lecturer at um, Sheffield Hallam. Uh, I started my doctorate in education in January 22. Um, <clears throat> I'm uh, just coming up to my last module, which is around uh, data analysis, and did a pilot over the summer. So, my, the title, What I'm Interested in, is Quiet Learners in nurse education and what their experiences are of, um, of the curriculum. Uh, I'm interested for a number of reasons, first reason is I am a quiet learner, um, so I'm interested in um, how other people experience learning, uh, but also because we there is an emphasis and over the last kind of two or three decades there's been a shift towards kind of active learning, collaborative learning in the classroom. Um, and certainly in nurse education and health education, um, uh, this idea of interprofessional learning as well. So there's very much an emphasis on uh, learners and students actively participating, and often the focus of active participation is on vocal and verbal participation, so that tends to be um, kind of how we measure whether people are learning or engaged. There's a suggestion and some criticism around um, uh, measuring in that way. And there's a suggestion that that may become performative. So learning becomes a performative action where students and learners feel that they need to prove they are learning by contributing in a, in a verbal um, in, in discourse, in discussion. Um, and generally speaking, in education somebody who is quiet, a quiet learner, is often seen as a problem. (coughs) So it's seen as a problem that needs to be solved. Um, So I'm just interested in, um, uh, I suppose, looking at that really and seeing what that experience is for people. So the literature, um, there's a fair bit of literature in the educational um, uh, evidence, not tons, but enough. Um, But I've, found is that there's lots of ways that we describe quiet learners. <coughs> so um, quiet, shy, reflective, reticent, introverted, silent. But the general um, consensus is, is that however we describe them, it's usually seen through the lens of a deficit. So quiet learners, however we describe them, they're seen as um, quietness is often seen as a, uh, is a problem that needs to be solved, rather than just a way of being and the way that people kind of choose to learn. So some assumptions um, that are made, um, that have been talked about in the literature <coughs> are that if there's an absence of talk, we assume there's an absence of learning. Um, people who don't necessarily uh, engage in the classroom discussion are often seen as students who are not engaging in the learning. There's also a suggestion that we've kind of shifted away from this idea of social learning theory and what our expectation has become is that it's a sociable learning environment. So we're expecting students to socialise and not every student or learner wants to socialise and doesn't learn in that way, essentially. Um, There's been some research about the way that educators view quiet learners and that tends to be, we tend to use words like non-engager, passive, unprepared, misfits. Um, So um, the negative labelling around those assumptions has been found to have an impact on belonging as well. So quiet learners often feel as though they're not learning in the right way, that they need to change something about themselves essentially um, in order to fit in. The other um, stuff that I looked at is about the relationship between quietness and academic excess. So a lot of the research around active learning, um, active learning, so participation in the classroom, suggests that people who verbally contribute academically do better um, than people who don't. But there's also a relationship between conscientiousness, so that's a, an attribute that sits Nicely within quiet learners. Quiet learners tend to have um, uh, kind of conscientiousness as a, as, a, as a quality, and that's directly linked with academic ac- success as well. So, there's this idea that maybe we need to look beyond just measuring the relationship between verbal contributions and academic success, and there are other things that we could start to measure. Um, and as well, for us to kind of think as educators about whether people are reluctant to participate or whether they're just simply learners who, who prefer to reflect. So some of the research has involved and asked quiet learners what their experiences have been. Um, so what they tell us is that they um, they find that the expectation to socially engage in the classroom as they're learning is really frustrated, frustrating. And it often... Um, it often means that they don't learn because they're they're thinking about kind of their performance and having to kind of speak and think about when they should speak and is it all right to speak now? And that kind of takes away the emphasis kind of like of what what, what the learning in the classroom is about. They often feel a fresh a pressure to fit in, so kind of that has an impact on the sense of belonging. There's been some of the research that says, it's, you know, it isn't just discomfort that people experience, but it's quite high levels of stress and anxiety, which again detract from people's ability to learn. Some of the research has suggested that some people just prefer lectures over collaborative classrooms um, and maybe we need to kind of just accept that some people learn in that way. Um, there's some other stuff as well around quiet learners saying there is an assumption they don't want to contribute verbally, but what they've said they find most useful is if they have space to talk, so often classrooms can be dominated by people who prefer to talk and are quick at thinking and answering, and what quiet learners are saying is that they just need a bit more space, they need three or four more beats to think Uh, reflect, formulate what they're going to say and then have the space to say it. So it's often that they've got things to say but can't kind of find the space in the room to say it. And what they've also said is that they quite like group work and quite like kind of talking at times but they are quite clear that um, they like that to be structured. So saying to somebody... I'll introduce the concept, what do you think about that? Might be quite difficult for a kind of a quiet learner to find space to, to think about that and have enough space to think about that. But they like group work that is quite structured, so they have specific questions that they need to answer. There's also something about the number of people in the group as well. So they suggest that kind of four or five people feels all right because they seem to be able to find the space more than that it becomes a bit intimidating for them and they kind of feel that they're often in a position where they can't find um, enough space to speak, basically. So, I'm particularly proud of my (laughs) drawing of the umbrella. Um, But (laughs) there's lots of different reasons why people will be quiet as well. So it's not just always a learning preference. Um, Some people will be really anxious about speaking and want to be able to speak I um, want help with that, maybe want some direction or some support about how to speak out in class. Um, there's also some research that suggests kind of things around um, uh, background, social status, if people are the first person in their family to be at university, they're not sure about navigating that world so kind of might be a bit more reticent to speak out. So there's lots of different reasons um, why people are quiet. I guess the, the message is, is that some people just are quiet and that's their preference, so it's not always a problem that needs to be solved. So I did my pilot over the, um, over the summer and wanted to um, invite students who recognise and identify, self-identified as quiet learners um, to come and speak to me about what their experiences are. So this is the this is the flyer that I sent out to our third year mental health students, um, and I just collected some um, some common themes from the literature and tried to put a bit of a positive kind of spin on it to think about kind of for people to think about what their qualities are. Did I identify with this, and if they did, would they come and speak to me about um, about their experiences on the curriculum? So the gaps in the literature—it's um, not been explored within nurse education in the UK that I know of. It's been um, looked at in um, in the US. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to, you know, the, some of the. The gap is around our knowledge around active learning, so we'll probably not look so much at um, people taking notes, nodding, eye contact, kind of reflecting and thinking. We tend not to measure those things, What we tend to measure when we're looking at um, active learning and success is verbal contributions. so there's this idea that subtle engagement, maybe that needs some measurement as well and some focus. Um, and as well, if we are going to um, adhere to and and you know um, be driven by a student-centred approach, then we need some balance between quietness and talk in the classroom. So specifically for mental health nursing, then um, <clears throat> listening skills great quality within mental health nursing because of the relationship between kind of therapeutic relationship and recovery and all the stuff that therapeutic relationship is around, kind of people's ability to listen, give people space, Um, so they're qualities that perhaps we don't appreciate currently in the classroom um, for some of our quiet learners. Student-centered curriculum, so we need a bit of a balance. So we don't want people to stop talking. We just need the balance of kind of giving other people a chance to speak as well. And seeing, seeing quietness as a quality as well, and maybe having a different perspective on that. Also, kind of having a conversation, perhaps about the performative learning as well, and shining some light around that around kind of in, in in education, um, and critically reflecting on that as educators. Um, and also, accepting um, that some learners will want to develop communication skills and those abilities, but not assuming that all do. Yeah, so people who are anxious might need some guidance with that, but some people might be quiet because that's how they prefer to learn. So um, my approach is IPA, so I'm interested in what that lived experience is and that's because there's not that much out there so that felt like a really good place to start to say to ask people what that experience feels like. Um, my plan is to ask third year mental health um, nurses, student mental health nurses, because they will have experienced hopefully enough of the curriculum to have been able to kind of um, give me some some uh, some information and probably develop some confidence hopefully and some experience that they might have had the opportunity to to be able to talk in the classroom, so I did the pilot study over the summer. Um, I got two people that came to, um, uh, to to speak to me, one of them clearly identified as a quiet learner and she gave some great information and she was talking about how she l- liked to listen um, and process and she brought her, her books with her to show me about how she would take notes and then go home and take more notes from those notes and kind of summarise some more. Um, And she said um, that she really appreciated conversations with lecturers. What she interestingly said was that often she found as she was in the same group, certain students would repeat their stories in several kind of seminars and lectures. So she would, for as lecturers, it might be the first time we've heard that story from one student. For other students, they might have heard it four or five times. And she felt that that detracted from her learning. Um, so she got a bit frustrated when other students might dominate that that conversation um, in the classroom. My other participant um, didn't actually identify as a quiet learner. She just came along to be quite helpful. Um, and she was quite avert. So I, I taught her and she's very kind of open, very talkative, very verbal in the classroom. But she was really interesting because what she was saying is there are times I become a quiet learner and these are the times that I become a quiet learner. So she said if she was outside of a familiar seminar group, um, if she didn't feel safe, she talked about if other students and other learners were able to articulate themselves really well, she felt that she would kind of just go into herself and think people know how to do this better. She also really interestingly talked about where she might sit when she felt like that. So she was in a big lecture theatre, she'd sit near the door kind of a couple a couple of spaces back, kind of hidden a little bit out of the way. Um, so even though she didn't recognise herself um, as a quiet learner, there were circumstances that she that she kind of recognised she did become one. So um, my idea is that quiet learning isn't always a problem that requires a solution. Um, and Hopefully, what this will contribute to once I've done the study and written it up, etc., um, will uh, allow us to kind of think about what our assumptions are in education about quiet learners, and ask ourselves questions about whether we design a curriculum and whether we design learning with quiet learners in mind, rather than just necessarily um, thinking about um, students and learners who prefer um, like an active, an active classroom. Thank you, that's
1: it. So, how many, um, are you just going to use Hallam as a repository of knowledge, or are you going to, do you want to go wider to other students and other universities? What's your...?
0: Well, my intention was was to use Hallam. but, yeah, I suppose that needs some thinking through. And professional
1: learning, are you using nursing
0: only? Or yeah, or I, and, and I think I would like to use m- mental health nursing only. I mean, I, I started off with nursing, um, but I moved towards mental health nursing. And I think some of that was... And I might be wrong here, but because I think it sits, I think this communication skills sit nicely and firmly for, for um, um, it's our tool, isn't it? It's the way that we work therapeutically with somebody. So I think I was looking for somewhere to kind of place it. So it felt like mental health nursing was the place to place it because of... Um,
1: so you've got interested, depends on the depth, depends on where you're
0: going, but, mm.
1: Maybe have other mm. mm. the tomorrow, you know, they social work come to us and to mm. and I'll finish but um, I've uh, not doing a teaching session this month come and do this. and online of course, in Teams. Yes. Online, or is
0: that just a Do you know it started to be honest Eve, with online because I think these conversations were happening during COVID um, so we were having conversations about non-engagement because we've just got kind of these blank black screens and nobody kind of did engage so I suppose I think that's where it started um, <coughs> but I ha- I suppose I have but yeah I, I, I it's not something, I suppose this is a personal reason, it's not something I'm particularly interested in in Zoom. I suppose the interest is in the classroom because I think a lot of people will become quiet learners perhaps on Zoom for various yeah, reasons. Yeah. It's
1: yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. i um, the methodology in your pilot study because I do <coughs> nominology I, I, I supervise students with nominology I love nominology oh, I draw it out of that lived experience that really
0: genuine mm.
1: that is sometimes lost um, but one of the reasons for doing a pilot study when you are using
0: Yeah and I think uh, I think as a mental health nurse by background I think I initially felt quite confident when I was thinking about that kind of six or eight months ago and then actually going to do it this idea that I didn't respond like a mental health nurse <laughs> because I was very aware that I didn't want to overly sort of direct it. Um, I did have a bank of questions um, and I I tried to stay close to that, but second certainly with the second participant, it went completely it just went somewhere else really um so so yeah i don't know if that il- gives any more information so
1: um
0: I think there were a few fair few things really. one of the things that I did think about was whether the focus just needs to be the curriculum because students the participants would talk a lot about placement as well and um, so that made me kind of wonder about whether I need to broaden that out a bit yeah and and I think there is sometimes the assumption and we have these conversations I suppose as educators don't we, well I think people can't necessarily talk or have the confidence to talk in the classroom are they going to function in placement and it'd just be interesting to see if is that is that our assumption, <laughs> or is that actually what happens out there in practice? How do P- quiet learners function out in practice? Um, so that was one of the things. Um, yeah, but I, I don't know if there was there probably was a lot a lot more, but I can't remember. Is, that all right? is there anything? <coughs> is there anything that you come across then? If this is your area of expertise, is there anything that kind of are common things that yeah, about doing yeah, the interviews.
1: Well, it's it's really sort of that use of the hermeneutic circle, the expression, mm-hmm. the use of language, really, that I think is really important to draw out in the interview. Um, because ordinarily, um, a research interview is quite didactic in some ways. It's I ask the question, then I ask the question, and, answer. and of course that, that's not the case of That's not the case of phenomenology. You ask a question and then you chase it with the person mm-hmm. to go deeper and deeper, deeper into their experience and then bring it back to the next question when you have explored that. And that can be really tricky, because I have such a lot to give out the first question that you never get to question one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's lots to think about, about, well, do you only interpret them once, or do you uh, allow provision for, inter- for interviewing
0: people more than once? Mm-hmm.
1: Like mm-hmm. And starting off at the very beginning, you know, this is all about the experience, and we might have an awful lot to say about a certain question. And just check out with you how you have, your, have your time. And if we don't have time, could, we do, a, could we do a second sit- sitting so that I can really give you the time to say what you need to say, really value mm. and that sort of
0: thing? But I
1: actually, did a, I actually did a toast story, a little story to help people understand why I was using phenomenology.
0: It was to talk it, explain, I'll just do it really quick. Yeah, mm. Send it to, uh, yeah. <laughs> so for example, just
1: a, a, a standard sort of pragmatic qualitative search and say, what, what did you have for breakfast this morning? and say, oh, I, had, I had toast and marmalade and I had it sat in the kitchen. Okay, fine, toast and marmalade sat in the kitchen. Phenomenological explanation of what you had your breakfast was I got up feeling a little bit harassed, the children were bothering me, I had to get them ready for school, one of them didn't have in the box, I really wanted to make sure I got some breakfast, because otherwise i fly up to work, fly to campus in the morning, and, you know, I'd be I need to get some breakfast, this is a priority, but I'm doing all this stuff um, for kids. Opened up the door to get out with lime, roses, lime, marmalade, because it's like marmalade grown with the kids like dropped with a dropped, mar- dropped jar of marmalade and, uh, and then eventually it's like kid's all sources and I'm sinking my feet into this wonderful piece of wood <laughs> with melted butter and my marmalade on the top and breathing out and that is a phenomenological <laughs> <laughs> exercise my breakfast. Yeah, so yeah. I can send it to you. So
0: no, that'd be all right, helpful. That's yeah, lovely. That is the lived experience of my breakfast. The lived experience of my breakfast is not that I have toast and Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's the context. It's the emotions. Yeah. Thoughts. It's how I felt physically.
0: It's you know, the the interaction that happens at the same time. That's the lived experience, and, and that's what. Trying to tease relax. out. Yeah. Yeah. No. So I'm a bit precious about it. You know. Yeah. <laughs> comes across a little. <laughs>
1: <coughs> no, no, you missed a bit about me saying about the butter. Sorry, butter I butter didn't start. Do <laughs> I'm, <laughs> like I'm, to I'm, the the, I'm the a quiet learner. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry, I have a question, but no, directed towards her. Um, <laughs>
0: about...
1: Uh, you say femininity, I'm, I'm not sure if you IPA or. Well, I used the use of femininity. It's maximum management but it's based off Heidegger's inter- interpretive phenomenology. Mm-hmm. So, uh, for instance, then, I, I, I appreciate your example of analysis that you have given. Like, there she's uh, using it as a method of data like collection, and you go on then and. Of analysis at all. Okay, so, Trisha, as <laughs> well as I, phenomenology is never intended to be a <coughs> research method, yes. it's intended to be a philosophy. Yes. Um, and, and many people try to structure this into a research method, including Maxwell mm-hmm. Hannon and actually uh, Jonathan Smith, who yes. created idea some years ago, who had a very clear step to approach. philosophers added and gadma and Sartre particularly things John can see as well actually existent there's that existentialist perspective which comes through IPA um, which also is um Gadimer um, and Merleau-Ponty also influential in the way that um the research methodology drew out of this existentialism so there's, there's no fixed way of doing it, really. But actually, bearing in mind that um, you are you are always researching, or Heidi would say, the being, the self, and the time, the, the time and place that that person exists. And really, that you maintain those, those broad principles around the authenticity, then does that answer your question? It does in a way, but like um, I don't understand because there's a shift there, there's a difference between the terminology and the IPA because you kind of took a critic side of IPA but there's another side of IPA. So. Yeah, well it stands for interpretive phenomenological analysis. I know, yeah. Doesn't it? So should we talk about this later? But oh I mean, no. you have to, it might be better <laughs> <easier>, to <laughs> I, uh, um, I was just interested, just because I have put some lot of as well, and it's in PhD. And similar to what you're doing, I have that inside perspective. Obviously with IPA, you have that kind of double-head music mm. thing of, uh, I hear what you're saying, and then this is kind of my understanding of that, and it's kind of the research and the past coming together. Uh, which I really enjoy. Mm. So I just wondered about how you found, because you said that yourself, you're in the five women as well, but, uh, did you find that, that had an impact on your research?
0: Um, yeah, I suppose, um, cause I, uh, because I suppose I have my experience as a quiet learner and um, <coughs> I've spoken to my supervisor a lot about this and I actually found it quite difficult at first to write about that because she was saying, you know, t- tell us a little bit about yourself and a bit about your experience of education if you kind of got this um, kind of insider perspective. Um, <coughs> uh, but yeah, I think, I think it's just something I, I uh, you know, as I've done the data collection, I suppose I was particularly kind of like conscious of it. And what's really interesting as well, we had a session a few weeks ago with our kind of eddoc group, and I had to show a piece of, um, of data. And what I got from the data was um, uh, uh, that one of the participants was saying, uh, my interpretation was that she didn't have space is what I interpreted like this paragraph. And she was saying, um, it's a paragraph where she was saying she liked to listen to the lecturer, didn't like to listen necessarily to the students ex- um, kind of explanations, because she'd heard it time and time again, and felt it was kind of done my, uh, a bit domineering. Um, and, uh, and interestingly, what colleagues in how they interpreted and saw that was entirely different because they said, oh look, she, she doesn't want to kind of, uh, uh, what were the, the words they, they use? Um, she doesn't want to kind of co-produce knowledge, knowledge and she just wants to be fed knowledge. And, and so that was really interesting that from, from their perspective, it was seen as quite a negative, but from my perspective, and I think maybe because I've experienced that, I was thinking, oh, shit, this, 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 this participant just needs space. That's what I see. So yeah. I don't know if that kind of explains any more, but yeah, I suppose it's interesting when somebody looked at the data <laughs> to see how differently they interpreted that to what I did. And I suspect that's my positionality, I guess. That's really important. That's that,
1: isn't it, that, it that what you're thinking about, what you're thinking about, is exactly what the point is? is yeah. You know, that, trying to capture that. Yeah, that a meaning. That whole journey. Mm. And you sort of touched on this a little bit earlier, but I was just thinking about um, the way you described at the start that being a quiet learner is often seen through a sort of deficit lens. And I was wondering about if that sort of deficit perspective is often reinforced through placement experiences, where often the experience is, or the expectation is, get stuck in and talk to people and do things. And if you are quieter in certain settings, I can imagine that really. That's quite pernicious for students. Mm. They
0: really kind of could eat away at a Yeah, and I guess, I guess it's <coughs> maybe a question for the profession as well as mental health nurses, is what what, what do we value? You know, is it talk or, you know, or is it kind of listening and 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 maybe it's not either or but I guess there's as much emphasis on listening So mm-hmm. we talk a lot about it in when we're maybe talking about therapeutic relationships and the importance of of developing <coughs> that and giving people space but <coughs> in where do we enact that in the classroom <coughs> where do we show that and where do we um, you know say that that's a real quality that people have got that you're quiet that means you'll be a great listener Um, and that's something that your more vocal colleagues can learn from you know so we've also looked at some of the stuff that talked about what we tend to do for quiet learners is is put on workshops and give them extra support about how they can kind of learn to vocalise and speak, but probably don't do that for people who speak too much. <laughs> we don't always give <laughs> suggest that there's a workshop needed for people just to kind of quieten down and kind of give other people space in the classroom as well. And I think that it, it kind of, I don't know, demonstrates for me or illustrates that actually quiet learners are seen through a lens of deficit. Mm-hmm. I have a number of questions going
1: around now. <laughs> sure. okay. the easiest. I'm also <laughs> a quiet learner. I like to sit back and absorb and, and I remember my university experience many moons ago being thrust into a world and um, with other public school types, right? so you did a lot of talking mm-hmm. and it shut them down, maybe because I'm naturally quite shy. But um, what I was gonna say to you was how if your I guess your hypothesis is that you're a quiet learner isn't doing
0: or it seems to be not doing as well as the other learners. How would you go around measuring that that's um, the case? Um, well, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I suppose my measure at the minute or my interest, what I'm interested in exploring, is what the experience is. I think some of the research has already looked at kind of academic success um so i'm not sure right now today in this moment (laughs) that that's something i will measure i have thought about measuring um um, things like uh people's performance on placement do you know because there are specific proficiencies around communication so I have thought about measuring that against people's... Um, uh, so some people um, will have learning contracts, which mean that they um, don't have to speak out in class and don't have to do presentations. So I have kind of wondered about, about that measurement, but perhaps not so much. It, it, you know, it's a good question, really. It's directly aligned, is it? Communication skills aren't directly aligned learning all the other theoretical models. Mm. No, that's a I good happy point. How do you know? But not practicing
1: my communications. Hmm. Hmm. I, I guess I would say they're two different kinds of studies. Anyway, okay, mm. it's not about measuring something that would be, maybe that's some kind of postdoctoral yeah. thing. Yeah. With, you know, the emphasis is on people's experiences. I guess this. Hmm. Yeah. Um, we have a real diversity in the classroom. Have you had
0: thoughts about that? Yeah, <coughs> um, I think <coughs> a lot of the, and I think that's been one of the difficulties, Steve, is that <laughs> there's so many reasons why people are quiet. <laughs> um, so I started off looking at introverted learners, so looking at temperament. Um, and um, and then thinking well do I just want to look at temperament and, and maybe I do <laughs> but a lot of the literature was around um you know the other of cultural um <coughs> influences influences around um, social class gender um so I'm not sure I've got a, an exact handle on that at the minute and I think that um, you know my question has changed the title of my question has <laughs> changed a number of times, introverted learners and I went to silent learners and I've gone to quiet learners And um, but I don't know, the more I move away from it, the bigger the bigger the the population of quiet learners are and the different motivations so yeah Maybe as
1: well. yeah. yeah okay it's going to have to be our last yeah, question yeah, no. but we're going to and popular. It is a really quick one of mm. because as you've been talking, it's just occurred to me that when I was reading through my granddaughter's school recordings that he going to engage as well in class And I wonder, are you asking somebody are you asking your participants if their learning style is similar to when they were at made main school
0: other the
1: high kids? it could have always been quite later or it could be
0: of the, of the higher education. Mm. I'll leave you to think about that one. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, Lovely.
0: great, thank you. Thank you.